Good morning, saints at FCF. Is everybody here? You know, I've experienced in the last month or so some situations in my life in which I've been powerless. And I've learned to appreciate power. Um, One comes to mind... uh, One of our vehicles has a fuel pump that when the gas level gets to a certain point, it has a really hard time pulling the fuel up in to get the car started. So I needed to go somewhere one day and I went out to the car and we're also parked on a kind of a hill which doesn't help things any. And I cranked and cranked and cranked and cranked and cranked. And I couldn't get the Suburban to start. I rolled it down the hill where it got level. I put some more gas in it from from the garage. Still couldn't get it to start. So, took my gas can, and I walked the mile or so to the gas station to get gas, come back, because the other vehicle was gone. So I realized that, as, um, that when I get in the car and I drive the Suburban, that power is not really me. That power is the gasoline and the vehicle and all that it comes to mean. Then about two weeks ago... Uh, I was driving the, my Toyota, and it began to kind of crank a little slower and cranked a little slower. Finally, wouldn't start at all. And being the non-mechanic mechanic that I am, you try all the things first before you have to pay the money for it, right? So I cleaned all the battery cables, and it did start the next day, and I got all the way to College Plus, and I had a full day of work and worked a little bit late. There was like nobody left in the parking lot. I go out, not a sound. And I had a jumper thing, I put it on, not a sound. I found a guy in an airplane hangar down the way. He had a big Texas truck, you know what those look like, the ones where you can't hardly even reach the hood. He pulled up and he put his truck on it and we tried it, not a sound. So I had to have somebody come pick me up. We came back the next night. We, we towed it back to a mechanic, and even as we tried to get it just to put it in the parking place, just to push it five feet with a little uphill climb, it took all we had just to get it into the spot and park it. So power's important. Power's essential. You and I have access to power that we don't even appreciate in our everyday lives, we turn the light on and electricity comes on. We get in our car, it starts. We go 70, 80 miles an hour while we just sit there. It's amazing the power that we have and the power that we need. Now, it's important as we get into Ephesians here, we're in this incredible passage in verses 14 through 21. Ephesians three fourteen through 21. And we've had Paul spend three chapters talking about the incredible things that God has done for us. And then we have three more chapters, four, five, and six, where he tells us how we are to live. I think it's very interesting. In this passage right here, he brings it all together. It's not enough for us to wax eloquent about chapters one, two, and three. And for us to understand all the things that God has done for us. And then to be told, go and do what he says. 
The problem is we are still people who have experienced the fall. We're not what we were before the fall. And just because we have all this great truth, it's not going to translate into Christian living without power. And that's what Paul prays in 14 through 21. He prays for the Ephesians. He prays for the church. He prays for power. Paul prays for God to empower the Christian believers and grant them a greater knowledge of his immeasurable love for them. This short seven-verse passage, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones spent 17 messages on it. And at the end of it, he he acknowledged his inadequacy to deal with the material. This is an incredible, incredible passage of Scripture. We need the power of God. We must have the power of God to do God's will. Many of us, if we believe that salvation is somehow our decision, and if we believe that now that we have been saved, we are good to go and move forward we're forgetting the fact that our tank is empty. That the starter won't work. We need supernatural power to live the Christian life. We're going to see today in Paul's prayer, his prayer with humility. We're going to see his prayer praying for power. We're going to see his prayer that they would understand this immeasurable love of Christ. That's what we're looking at today. First, if you look at verses 14 through 16, we read this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We see here humble gratitude. As he prays, there is an incredible amount of gratitude for this reason. What reason? In chapters 1, in chapter 2, and chapter 3, we have all these reasons to be grateful. Let's quickly review those. One, in chapter 1, we're told that because of God's grace, we were chosen before the foundations of the earth. We were predestined for adoption as sons and daughters of God. We were forgiven. We were redeemed. We were adopted and were sealed, guaranteeing our salvation. That's just chapter 1 of what God did for us. Chapter 2, we're told that we were dead in our sins and God made us alive and saved us for good works, which he prepared for us to do. And he brought peace between us and God and between Jew and Gentile. And he tells us in chapter 2 that he put both Jew and Gentile together and he is making one body, one holy temple from which to bring glory and honor and praise to himself. We're going to see prayer here. And as one, one author said, prayer is not striking a pinata or asking God for goodies. We all know what a pinata is. 
If you've had any kind of Mexican birthday, there's always something kind of dangling and you have a stick and you're swinging at it. And when you hit it, if you hit it enough times, the candy comes out. Prayer is not hitting at a pinata. Prayer is not looking for goodies. Prayer is asking God to do in you what he's already promised he's going to do. There's a promise there and we are calling upon him to give us the power we need to carry out what he has promised for us. God did not save us because we're good, but because he is good. He is good. That's why we are saved. The psalmist writes as this, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Paul is humbled by the grace of God. He bows his knee before the Father in incredible gratitude from being a Judaizer to being a minister to the Gentiles. Not only is he humble in gratitude, he's also humble in desperation. Paul knows that the Ephesian Christians will not be able to live up to this vision in their own strength and wisdom. He's told them all these great things, but he knows nothing's going to change unless God does something continually in their lives. Brothers and sisters, do you realize you're helpless and powerless without God? All of us will say yes. The question is, is that experientially true? Do we really believe we need the power of God to live the Christian life? Or have we got it figured out to the point where we can pretty much check the boxes without prayer, without the power of God working in our lives? Paul, in this prayer, lets us know as the apostle that these people will accomplish nothing apart from prayer, his prayer for them, and God doing an incredible work in their lives. You know, we're very much like the donkey on Palm Monday. The donkey awakened, his mind still savoring the afterglow of the most exciting day of his life, Never before had he felt such a rush of pleasure and pride. He walked into town and found a group of people by the well. I'll show myself to them, he thought. But they did not notice him. They went on drawing their water and paid him no mind. Throw your garments down, he said crossly. Don't you know who I am? They just looked at him in amazement. Someone slapped him across the tail and ordered him to move. Miserable heathens, he muttered to himself. I'll just go to the market where the good people are. They will remember me. But the same thing happened. No one paid any attention to the donkey as he strutted down the main street in front of the marketplace. The palm branches! Where are the palm branches? he shouted. Yesterday you threw palm branches. Hurt and confused, the donkey returned home to his mother. Foolish child, she said. Don't you realize that without him, you're just an ordinary donkey? Do you not realize that apart from Jesus, 
You're just an ordinary son or daughter of Adam and Eve. It's Christ that makes the difference. I can kind of relate to this donkey on several fronts. One of them being that I'm at a season in my life where young men seem to show me interest. They will call me on the phone and talk with me, or they'll discuss theology with me, or they'll take me out to eat. Um, And then eventually they come to a question, something like this. Mr. Renfro, um, I've noticed Brianne, or I've noticed Jenna. And I would really like to get to know them better. And I go, what? Wasn't just about me? (laughs) No, it wasn't just about me. Do we see the need in our lives for Christ? It is all about him. He is the way and the reason for us and how we can live for him. We must be with Christ. If you remember in John 15, 15, 5, the Bible says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If truth be known, we spend a lot of our time doing nothing for the kingdom because we don't have the power to be different, to fight sin, to evangelize, to serve in the body of Christ. We're in desperate need, brothers and sisters, of this power. Paul understands that clearly in this passage. Why would Paul spend seven verses of Holy Scripture praying this prayer if it was of no value, if there was no need? There's a great need in the church, as always, through all generations, and especially in the church today, that God would fill us with power to carry out what he'd have us to do. And then finally, we're looking at humility of confidence. We have humility of um, confidence before him. We have access to the Father through the Spirit because of the Son. Look at verses, chapter 2, verse 18. For though he, for through him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. What an incredible thing, brothers. He tells us that both the Jews and the Gentiles have what? Access. Access to who? The Father. Through who? The Spirit. He is our Father and He rules and He is over all and has authority over all. He tells us that I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Why does He say that? Because He's telling us that if you name something, you have authority over it. When you buy a new puppy and you bring it home and you name it Fido, you're naming it, but you also have authority over it. When Adam was in the garden and he was naming all the animals, he was not just naming the animals, he had what? Authority over them. God names every family. God has authority over every person, every family under creation. And this is the God who Paul is praying to for power. Let's look at Ephesians 3. 12 and 13. Verse 11 starts out, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Jesus purchased our access. And it's through the Spirit 
to the Father. So Paul in his prayer, he sees his need, he's grateful for all that God has done, and he knows that he has confidence that he can go before the Father on behalf of the Ephesians and that God will do an incredible work. What you notice in all of Paul's letters is he's praying for the church. He's praying for the church. He's in prison. He's bound. He's captive. He's praying for the church. As you and I sit here today, realize his prayers were answered. That the gospel has come to us. His prayers just didn't hit the the ceiling of the jail. His prayers were effective because God has authority over all the earth. He has authority over the church and he can take dead bones of Christians who aren't walking by the power of his spirit and he can fill us with power and he can cause us to accomplish great works for him. We live in a world in which we are a minority. We live in a world in which people look down upon us. But the reality is we have a great God that we serve. And Paul is going to pray to him in this passage for the Ephesian people. So we have first prayer of humility. Second, we have this prayer for the fullness of God's power and love. Verses 16 through 19. He's praying from, he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's obvious. Who gives us the power? Paul prays to God that he would do what? Grant us strength with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It is obvious from this passage, the passage doesn't come out and say we're powerless. It is inferred, isn't it? It is inferred in the prayer. They're powerless, therefore I pray. They're powerless, therefore God grants you strength and power. How do they receive it? Through the prayer of Paul. How do you receive power? Through asking God yourself or the other brothers and sisters in this church praying for you for power to be what you're supposed to be. This fullness of God's power, first of all, is just for for strength in 16 and 17. We need Christ's resurrection power in our inner man to fight sin, to serve the body of Christ, to proclaim the gospel. We've been radically affected by the fall and are totally unable to live apart from Christ. We are like the car with no gas the car with no starter. There's potential there, but without the power of God, nothing happens. How's your fight coming with sin? How is your boldness in proclaiming the gospel? 
How is your service to each other in the body of Christ? If it's less than it should be, could it be that we've not prayed and asked God to fill us with his spirit, to give us the power that we need? I mean, we will do everything else but that because of our pride. We want to acknowledge that we can do this. We can handle this apart from his power. Paul clearly understands it will not happen apart from his power. Your victory over sin won't happen apart from his power. Your zeal to share the Lord won't happen without his power. Your ability to serve and minister in the body of Christ will not happen apart from his power. Notice he says here, 17, he's praying this prayer for strength of power so that for the purpose that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ obviously inhabits each person who's a believer in him. But the word here for dwell is not just to to take up occupancy. It means to settle down. It means to rule. So as we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to pray that Christ will dwell in each of us by faith. D.A. Carson talks about this in his little book, Spiritual Reformation. He says, when Christ by his spirit takes up residence within us, he finds a moral equivalent to trash, black and silver wallpaper, and a leaking roof. He sets about turning his residence into a place appropriate for him, a home for which he is comfortable. When a person takes up long-term residence somewhere, their presence eventually characterizes that dwelling. When Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in bad repair. It takes a great deal of power to change us. And that is why Paul prays for power. He is transforming us into a house that pervasively reflects his own character. That is so encouraging, brothers and sisters. Remember Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will do what? Carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you still need some repairs? I know I do. And yet, we are promised that as Christ dwells in us richly by faith, he will continue to change the wallpaper, put down new flooring, put on some new paint, and make a home for himself with us. So we need the power of Christ in us to be transformed. Apart from his power, we're not going to be transformed. One of the problems in our country today is we have many people who name the name of Jesus who don't know Jesus, and we have just as many people who name the name of Jesus who aren't living by his power. There's really nothing different about us except we just try really hard. We need, secondly, in verses 17 through 19, we need his power to grasp Christ's love. This is incredibly important. When we begin to grasp Christ's love for us, we live a crucified life. 
To the degree that you grasp Christ's love for you, to that degree you will live a crucified life. A good, simple mathematical equation would be this. Christ's love understood equals radical obedience to Christ. Christ's love understood equals radical obedience to Christ. D.A. Carson again in this, regarding this. Paul is not asking that his readers might become more able to articulate the greatness and God's love in Christ Jesus or to grasp with the intellect alone how significant God's love is in the plan of redemption. He is asking God that we might have the power to grasp the dimensions of that love in their experience. The facts of chapters 1 and 2, if that's all it is, is facts and you have it in your mind, that's not what Paul's driving at here. It has to affect our experience. It has to change our heart. We have to grasp it with some emotion. Now, I know that we can be afraid of experience and we can be afraid of emotion and we don't want to just live our life on emotion. But there's an appropriate emotion for what God has done for us. And we see that in this prayer of Paul as he almost takes off flying in verses 20 and 21 at what God has done on behalf of the saints. So while we don't want to be overly emotional and emotionally driven without gospel facts, we need to be careful we don't fall into the other ditch. There's, there's two ditches here, aren't there? One is experiential abuse. Everything is about my experience. I, I believe this happened to me. I've had this experience. God has spoken to me, but we have no filter of the word of God. And it's all about my experience. And my experience really trumps the word of God. That's experiential abuse. We don't want that. And sometimes what we do is we don't want that. So we run the other direction. This is probably more of where we're at is experiential avoidance. Avoids the spirit and avoids experience. What that produces is cold, dead Orthodoxy. Is your doctrine good? Oh, it's great. You got every I dotted and every T crossed. You understand the Trinity. You understand the doctrine of salvation. You understand the doctrine of the church. You understand doctrine, 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 doctrine. But it doesn't impact your heart. It doesn't change your life. Many people have known right doctrine and committed grave sins because they were not walking in the fullness of God's presence and love personally. This is why Paul has this section in here, this prayer. It's not just, hey, make sure you know all the facts in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and you're good to go. Those must come alive by the power of the Spirit. They must be driven into your heart. They must change you and who you are. I, can, I promise you, Paul just didn't have an intellectual experience on the road to Damascus. Yes, his doctrine changed for sure. 
But something much more happened. He became a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And he loved him. And he was so grateful for what Christ did in setting him free from his sin. And he was willing to do whatever Christ wanted him to do. No matter how painful or difficult it was. Because he had been changed by Christ. The thief on the cross. The one who turned to him. It wasn't just, okay, now I got my doctor straight. I'm good to go. No, he was changed by Christ being crucified before his eyes. Does our doctrine change us? It should. But it has to be by the power of his spirit. There are men, there are agnostics who read the Bible and come out with nothing. This word is the living word of God. But it also has to be combined with the spirit of God. And it must impact the heart of man. Does the word impact you? Or can you just read your two or three chapters in the morning, say a brief prayer and you're on your way and it doesn't even phase you? Brothers and sisters, we need power. We need God's power to take his word and change us. That's my prayer when I preach. If Lloyd-Jones feels inadequate, I feel quadruply, quintuply, whatever it is, inadequate to unpack this passage. We need the spirit to help us there. So we have these great truths in one through three. We're now going to be called to live it out in four, five, and six. Cannot be done without what? Power. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul talking. And it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who what? Lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Loved me. And gave himself for me. Do you see how Paul has grasped the love of Christ? He just didn't say I was crucified with Christ. He now lives in me. He said that. But the reason that's the case is because he has understood the love of Christ. So as we think about this, how do we grasp the love of Christ? This is what Paul, Paul is praying that they'll have the strength to grasp this. What that tells us is, it's not going to be grasped humanly, is it? If he has to pray for God's strength for you to grasp the love of Christ. But you'll say to me, well, Pastor Paul, I I know God loves me. Yeah, okay, well. God's love is like the ocean, isn't it? Do we believe the ocean is vast? Mm-hmm. Do we believe the skyscraper is tall? Mm-hmm. But we believe it here. Not necessarily down here. Now take me to the 99th floor and walk me out and put me on one of those window washing things where I'm 99 floors up in this little carriage. How's my appreciation of the height of that building now? Oh, 
whole lot different, isn't it? Or let's suppose that I'm on a cruise and I get thrown overboard and I happen to catch a, a piece of wood and I'm just hanging there in the water and I'm swimming. Whole different perspective of the ocean at that point, isn't there? Whole different perspective of how vast, how deep. Do we know something of the love of Jesus? Yes, we do. Do we know enough? The answer is, we need more. That's what he's saying here in his prayer. We need more. When we're prayerless and when we're not in the word, we're saying, you know what? I think I know enough to be okay. I'm good to go. I don't really need to think about God's love anymore. I really don't need to pray and ask God to give me the power to really grasp it anymore because I kind of know everything now. And this is kind of as good as it gets. May God give us a renewed hunger to know his love deeper. Notice this string as we go through this. Starting in verse 16, he prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you strength with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul prays so that you'll now have this strength of power in your heart, in your inner being. That's where it all happens, isn't it? It's not outward. Everything happens in our heart. We need Christ's power and strength in our heart. Our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, isn't it? We need that power to say no to sin, to put to death the flesh, to put to death our pride and proclaim the gospel of Christ, to put together, put down our agenda and serve in the body of Christ to each other. Notice, then he says another so that. So there's these little steps he keeps taking. Notice the steps he's taking here. So that Christ, 17, may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he's praying that you'll have this power through his spirit in your man, inner man, so that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This means I'm trusting in Christ alone to live the way he wants me to live. I'm completely trusting in him alone. He is now living in my house. He's now taking down the wallpaper. He's now changing who I am. Then he says, so that you what? Being rooted and grounded in love. At this point, you are now rooted and grounded in love. How are you going to flourish as a tree? You must be rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. If you don't believe Jesus loves you, you are not going to grow. If you are constantly being defeated by sin and you feel that God doesn't love you, you're not going to grow. If you face the trials of life, and there's a lot of them, and we all face them. Things that shake us and cause us to question whether God really loves us. You're not going to grow. The trials of life and our own sin alone are enough to completely uproot us out of God's love. We need to be Planted, rooted, grounded in his love. 
That's what Paul's prayer is. You've got to know that Jesus loves you. Even though you're facing persecution. I mean, Paul of all people could go, man, God doesn't love me. I'm in, I'm in prison every time I turn around. Somebody's throwing rocks at me. There's no love here. What's amazing is because Paul was rooted in God's love, no matter what came his direction, he remained what? Firm and steadfast and faithful to carry out all there is to carry out. If your faith is only good when it's fair weather, you're in trouble. Because there's not a lot of fair weather in life. You have to fight the world, the flesh, your own flesh all the time, and the devil. Rooted and ground in love. And may have strength to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the knowledge. Notice here, he wants them to have the the ability to comprehend this, to comprehend this love. And not just by yourself. With what? All the saints. This is why church is so important in a community of faith. As we hear the testimonies of what God is doing in our lives, it strengthens our own faith, doesn't it? And causes us to trust more and more in the love of Christ. And he uses these four terms, the breadth and length and height and depth. What does he mean by that? I think he's just trying to paint this picture that God's love is limitless. But some people have chosen to try to figure that out. And Lloyd-Jones was one of those who did that. And he, he looked at the breadth of God's love as that he has desired to save people from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. Isn't that wonderful? And the length? Well, well, we know that we were all chosen in him before when? The foundations of the earth. So from eternity past, as far back as we can see, God has loved us. And we know that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, right? No matter what kind of trials of face, we'll never be separated from his love throughout eternity. So we have the breadth. We have the length. We have the height. To me, the height of God's love is that he would actually take you and I. And he would bring us to the point of being made in the very image of God. Of Christ. Without blame. And holy. Presented joyfully in his presence. That's got to be the height brothers and sisters. It could be, it could be other things. You know again God's high. God's love is incredibly high. And then we have the depths. God's love is deep. It came from the height of Christ being the son of God. To becoming a man to being born in a poor home, to being mocked and ridiculed and abused and crucified and rejected by his people. God's love is deep. God's love is not flippant. It is deep. Notice he's praying that we'll be able to comprehend this. And listen to 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
He wants you to, listen to this, he wants you to know this love that's beyond knowledge. It's, it's immeasurable. Whatever you think you know of God's love, there's more. There is so much more. And your fuel for the Christian life is focused on Jesus and his love for you. That is the fuel. That's the fuel for the Christian life. Accountability is important. Being part of the body is important. All those things add to it. But Paul prays for the thing that will give them the strength they need to live the Christian life. Notice, we've had all the so that's. This is done so that this. This is done so that this. This is done so that this. Look at the very last. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that, or that, another purpose statement, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Why is he praying this prayer? So that you will be mature in Christ. That is his prayer. Going back to Ephesians 1, remember? Verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. The purpose of God is that we become like Jesus. Paul's prayer is, I'm praying that they may have strength. And that they may have strength to be able to let Christ dwell in them richly by faith. To be rooted and grounded in love. And being able to comprehend how vast this love he has for them is. And to know this love experientially. That is so important, brothers and sisters, that we know it experientially. That we know in our heart that he loves us. And that that will do what? That will bring us to the point of being filled with all the fullness of God. It's not enough to be a hearer of the word. It's not enough to be able to repeat what we talked about today. For some of us, we'll take this. We will, by God's grace and by his power, get a better grasp on his love. And he'll continue to change us into his very image. For some of us, it'll just be another sermon. And we'll walk out the door and we'll head for lunch. We'll have another day, another week, and things will stay just the same. Christ didn't save you to not change you. Christ didn't come into your life to sit there and leave the dirty dishes in the sink and the wallpaper peeling and the flooring buckling up. He came to make you like him. And we have to have the power of Christ for that. And then... If that's not enough, we go to verse 20 and 21. After Paul has prayed this prayer for them, 
Listen to what he says. Now to him who, he's now back to worship. He started with his, he, he started with a bowed knee. Here he is again. He's worshiping. Prayer is what? Worship, isn't it? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And Paul has his hands up now. I mean, even with chains on, he is there. Look what he says. He's praying this prayer. He knows that only by God's power can they grasp his love and can they be changed. Can they fight sin? Can they be evangelistic? Can they be the church God wants them to be? Only by prayer and by the power of God will that happen. And then he makes this incredible statement. He's praying to a God who is able to do what? More than he asked. He didn't just say more. He says abundantly more. So he's going to do whatever you... Here's what's amazing. When you and I pray, he's going to do more. Is that worth taking it to the bank right there? He's going to do more. Because you and I have a finite what? Mind. We're finite people. We just want to make sure we have bread on the table, right? Please make my paycheck come in this month. He tells us in Matthew 6, listen, do not be anxious about what you eat or what you, or what you wear. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. He's not just going to do more. He's going to do abundantly more. He's not going to do just abundantly more than what we ask. Listen to this. He's going to do abundantly more than all that we could ask or think. Why? Because God is an incredible God. Christ is incredible. And he has a plan for us that's beyond our imagination. He has a plan to do more with your life here than you imagine. It's not up to you to figure out the plan. You definitely need to try to figure out a plan for your life and be acting on it. What he's telling you is, listen, you pray to me for my power and I will use you in this life for my kingdom more than you could ever ask or imagine. Not to mention what will you, I'll use you in the next age. He tells us godliness is profitable for all things, for the present life and for what? The life to come. You and I are serving Christ not only in this era, but also when? In the age to come. And he's going to do immeasurably more than we ever ask or imagine. So let's at least put something on the table, right? Let's pray. And let's, Paul, how many of us pray this for each other? We usually pray if you're sick. We usually pray if you need a job. We usually pray if you lost a relative. We'll pray that you get your word. We pray you come back to church. Brothers and sisters, a man of Paul's wisdom prays this prayer. May God give us grace to pray it for each other. That we would pray for each other. That we would be able to grasp the love of Christ and what he has done there. 
That's amazing. Now, why? How? According to the power at work within us. He can do a message more in what? In us. Individually and what? Corporately. Because of his incredible riches. Because of the glory of him. The power that's within us. Because of the Holy Spirit within us. He can do more in you individually and us as a body. Now we had our financial report read last week. And we all know that we have been losing members. And we've been losing revenue. But may I say to you brothers and sisters. God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. He can use this church to reach Fredericksburg for Christ. But it's not going to happen with us just doing business as usual, operating in our own power. We need to be changed by the power of God to understand in new ways the love of God for us. And that will change our love for each other. That will change our love for our community. That will change our commitment to the cause of Christ. This situation is not hopeless. If God did not exist, it would be hopeless. With God, all things are possible. But it starts with this prayer for each of us. That that we pray for each of us that we would understand his love. And that will begin to change us as people. We will be able to fight sin. We will be able to be selfless. We will be able to be more engaging with people and reaching out to people and carrying out the Great Commission. This prayer is really the the pinnacle of Ephesians. We come with what God's done, the amazing things God's done. We have this incredible prayer and nothing but all-out worship for who God is and what he's done and what he's going to do. And then we go back down the mountain to living it, to living it out in our lives. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for families by name. We have a member list. Let's go through that and pray for each person. This prayer that they would be able to grasp the love and the breadth and the depth and the height and the length of God's love and that that would change them. Pray for wisdom for the leadership of the church. Pray that God would change our hearts. Fathers, we need to pray this for our children. Married children, not married children, we need to pray that our children would understand the love of Christ and that that would take them to a whole different level in their sanctification. We talked about counseling in here this morning, the importance of counseling. Counseling is important because you have to share the biblical truth with, with them. But there's something else that's needed, and I'm sure Cody's covered it. We've got to pray for those people that they begin to understand 
God's love for them and what Christ has done for them. Paul says it's incredibly important that they understand the love and that that will eventually cause us as believers to be filled with all the fullness of God. The goal here, brothers and sisters, is that we're all filled with Christ and that we become into his very image. That will never happen until we get to heaven. But it should be happening, right? We should be progressing toward that by his grace. And finally, he says, why? Why? Why is he praying this prayer? Why is he going to answer these prayers? So that to him, to God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Wow. I know Martin Lloyd-Jones just did one sermon or two on that verse. To him be glory in the church. As we're being changed into the image of Jesus, the church becomes glorious, a place of worship and a place of outreach. And in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever, amen. There's something within each of us that wants recognition, right? There's something within each of us that wants to do something great. We read the story of the donkey who thought he was great. And may I say there's all kinds of ventures that we're involved in that will bring us some measure of feeling productive and useful and some measure of feeling like we're doing something significant. Notice here though, The church and Jesus Christ for all generations. For what? Ever and ever. You and I have a short amount of time to live our life for Jesus. And how we live for him will be reflected forever and ever and ever. In the end, all your great enterprises here on earth will be forgotten. I was a scholarship athlete at UTA. I broke their scoring record. I broke their rebound record. They don't know who I am now. It's a tragedy. And all of us have had situations like that where we've done something and we got a bit of praise. Oh, good job. Who are you now? We forgot who you are. Christ and his kingdom. His glory is what? Forever. And ever. May we be about building his church for his glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that we don't pray for each other like we should. We don't pray that we would understand your love. We don't pray for our spiritual health like we should. Father, we come before you as a church, repenting of that, and Lord, starting with prayer. Praying for each other. Praying that you'll use us for your kingdom and your honor and your glory. Father, we stand amazed at all you've done for us. 
You are an amazing, amazing God. And Father, may we be gripped in our heart with the sacrifice of Christ. The incredible sacrifice of Jesus for our sin. May we not just be cold, hard, intellectual theologians. Paul says, Christ's love constrains me. Paul was propelled throughout the Roman Empire because of the love of Christ. Oh, Father, I, I need to understand your love more for me. I need to understand your love more for the saints. Father, for us to be able to fight sin, for us to be able to serve in your body and lay out a sacrificial life for others, for us to worship you and to meditate on your word and to proclaim your gospel to all people, we need a bigger picture of your love. We need to understand it. This knowledge that's insurpassable, we need to move down the road toward it. Lord, you are unbelievable. You're an unbelievable God. You're so far beyond who we are and your love is beyond measure. And yet, Father, help us be about knowing you more. Knowing you more. May you give us grace to know you more. And Lord, as we know you and we see your face, may we be transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of Jesus and for the glory of his church.